We will be starting a Christmas series uh, of sermons next Sunday, but this morning I thought it might be nice if we just took one last look at the book of Acts. We, we began this series uh, 43 sermons ago, uh, back in January, the first Sunday of the new year. We began this series on Acts, and uh, I thought today it'd be good just to try and have a wrap-up sermon where we try and tie this entire book together. When you're in a series that long, it may be hard to keep the whole book in perspective, So, but we need to do that. Uh, you remember Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, and, and when he wrote that book, it was not divided into verses and chapters. It was one continuous writing. And you may remember this too. You need to know this. Luke, uh, this is not his first book. The book of Acts is not his first book. His gospel, which bears his name, is the first book. And Acts is a continuation of that book. In Luke's gospel, it was the story of Jesus. And it began, you remember, with the announcement of his birth. And and then it continues right on through his life to his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. The book of Acts then picks up where the gospel of Luke leaves off. The, The very first chapter in Acts, we find the resurrection of Jesus taking place. And Acts then is the continuation of the story of Jesus through his apostles as they take the good news of Jesus to the world. It is a great book to read. In fact, I have just started reading it again in my personal reading. I would encourage you to be reading God's Word on a daily basis. I had an interesting conversation with someone a while back. I asked this fellow if he read the Word of God on his own. And he was very quick to say to me, no, he didn't have time to read God's Word on his own. He was too busy to do that. And this is what he said to me. That's your job, to read the Bible and tell me what it says. Now, the intriguing thing to me in that conversation was, I was trying to tell him what it says. But he had a different mindset. He was not receiving the word for what it says. He, he thought he knew what it said, but it was not based. He, he testified to me that his thoughts were not based on his own reading, his own research. He just thought he knew what the Bible ought to say. Well, we were in kind of a dilemma in that conversation. I have to be honest with you, it did not end well. He quit coming here to church because I wasn't telling him what he wanted to hear. And I hated that to be the case because every person who walks through these doors, I want them to to find a home here. And most of all, I want them to find Jesus. I want them to have a relationship with Jesus. But we cannot sugarcoat the gospel. We cannot say what 
people want it to say. In fact, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible from a preacher's standpoint in what I do every week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Could I encourage you to be a good student of God's Word? To spend some time there to know what God's Word says to you? In fact, as 2017 comes along, we're going to encourage you all the more to be good students of God's Word. We're going to ask you to consider reading the Bible all the way through in 2017. And we're going to give you a plan for how to do that. But I want to encourage you to be a good student of God's Word. If you would pursue that goal of being a student of God's Word, one of the themes that you will find in the book of Acts is the importance of prayer in the early church. In fact, you don't get very far into chapter 1 before you see the church gathering For prayer, let me read to you from chapter 1, verse 14. It says, these, speaking of the disciples, these with with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Note, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And the prayers were making a difference. Before chapter 1 ends, they are led by the Lord to choose a replacement for Judas who had betrayed Jesus. Thus, the number of disciples came back to the number of 12. Then in chapter 2, 3,000 people answer the call of salvation. They give their lives to Jesus. I don't think that was coincidental that in chapter 1, the church is praying, and in chapter 2, a revival is starting. Prayer always precedes revival in the Lord's church. If we want good things to happen here, if we want revival to happen here, if we want people's hearts to be open to the Word of God here, then we as a church need to be praying. At the end of chapter 2, there were more people praying. Let me read to you chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? To prayer. What was the result of this devotion to prayer? You read the verses that follow. You see some pretty amazing things beginning to happen. Miracles were taking place at the hands of the apostles. People were selling their property. And they were giving the proceeds to the church so that the poor could be taken care of. There was unity in the church. People were loving each other. They were of one mind. They were not bickering back and forth. They were not dividing from one another. Rather, they were together in one spirit. It was an amazing atmosphere. 
to be a part of. And, and the world would have been attracted to that atmosphere. And verse 47 says, Day by day the Lord was adding more people to their number. More were being saved. Chapter 3 opens up. You remember what happened in chapter 3? Peter and John were going to the temple for the purpose of prayer. It was the hour of prayer, the Scripture says. Before the morning was finished, a lame man since birth was walking and leaping and praising God. Keep in mind, prayer precedes mighty miracles. Chapter 4. They were praying some more. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. We could say it this way. Prayer precedes the filling of the Holy Spirit, and prayer precedes boldness. We aren't even to chapter 5 yet. And we see so many good things happening in the Lord's church. People are being saved by the thousands. We've seen miracles happening. We've seen love growing. We've seen people being united together in their spirit. The poor are being cared for. People are being filled up with the Holy Spirit. They are witnessing to the lost with boldness. This is the story of the book of Acts. The church was praying and therefore God was moving amongst His people in a very powerful way. Chapter 6. The apostles were devoting themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. We could go through the entire book and see the emphasis that is given to prayer. Chapter 9, Saul was praying. Chapter 10, Cornelius and Peter were praying. Chapter 12, maybe you remember that. Peter was in prison. He was about to be executed. Already James has been executed. It was now Peter's turn, but the church had gathered for prayer and the Lord sent an angel to open the prison doors and spared Peter's life. In chapter 13, it says the leaders were praying and fasting. All the way through this book, prayer is a high Priority. I want to ask, is it a priority for you and for me? Is it something that we emphasize in our life? It should be, we should be giving, giving prayer a high author, uh, place of position in our life. Pray without ceasing, says 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 17, Colossians 4, 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The New Living Translation does treats that verse this way. Don't worry about anything. Do we need to hear that? I mean, it's easy for us to worry, isn't it? It's easy for us to get all uptight and, and anxious. Paul says to the church there at Philippi, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Ephesians 6, 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Prayer should be a way of life for us. And when that happens, when we become serious about prayer in our individual life, in our, in our church as a whole, when we become serious about prayer, we will see the working of God in us and through us like we have never seen before. Goodbye, ho-hum Christianity, when we get serious about praying. Goodbye, lukewarm Christianity, when we get serious about praying. But it's something that we don't need just to talk about or hear sermons about. It's something we need to do. We need to get serious about prayer. Why don't we? Why don't we pray? Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're too distracted or or too comfortable. Whatever the reason is that might would keep you from being a prayer warrior, put that reason or excuse behind you and plug into the power that is available for you through prayer. A prayerless Christian is like a skill saw that's not plugged into the electrical outlet. Now you tell me, what good is a skill saw going to be if it's not plugged into the electrical outlet? It'll look good, but it's not going to do much good, is it? It's not going to do its work. It can't do its work. Because it's not plugged into the power. If you and I will plug into the power of prayer, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, then we will be able to do the work that He has intended for us to do. There is so much to pray for. Lost souls. I I would encourage you to have on your mind, even write down on a piece of paper, two to three to five to ten names of people that you know who are not Christians, and, and use that list of names to remind you to pray for them. Pray for them fervently that they could come to know Jesus as Savior. I don't see Anna Gibson here this morning, but one thing I know about Anna is she is a prayer warrior. And here, several months ago, I was in her apartment just visiting with her, and she was telling me about how she loves to pray. And I sense that, and I ask her to begin praying for lost souls, to to pray for this church to have a moving of God's Spirit, to, to, to move lost souls towards the Savior. And she promised me that she would do that. And you know what? Over the weeks that followed, as, as we had had that conversation, I could see the Spirit moving more in people's lives. And we had people coming to Jesus. 
What if all of us had that kind of heart? What if all of us had that kind of burden for lost souls that we would go before the throne of Jesus and ask Him for lost souls to be saved? There's so much more than just that to pray for. We, We have our own kids that we need to be praying for. Satan is after our kids. My kids are all out of the home. They're adults. They're on their own. But I'm still praying for them on a regular basis. And one of the prayers that I pray for them is that God would protect them from the evil one. And now I have grandkids and I'm praying for them that God would protect them from the evil one and that they would grow up and know Jesus as Savior and Lord in their lives. We have family members that we need to be praying for. We have a church that we need to be praying for. And our country needs prayer. Amen? It's a mess. It's a big mess. And we need to be praying for our country. And, and, and two, as we go to the throne in prayer, we, we just need to worship Him. We need to worship Him. Come before Him in a reverent spirit and to, to see how awesome He is and what a wonderful God He is. And what a wonderful Savior Jesus is. And we give thanks to them. And we give praise to them. And sometimes we just need to be quiet before them. And listen. To hear what they have to say to us. That's that's hard for me to do. But I need to do that more, and and maybe you do too. As you read through the book of Acts, you will see the high priority of prayer in the early church. Let me give to you a second theme in the book of Acts, and that is simply this, the clarity of the gospel. There are several conversion accounts in this book that if you read it, You can see what a person is doing to come to Jesus. You can see what a person is doing to say yes to Christ. You don't even need a preacher to tell you what to do and how to be saved. Because you can read it for yourself and you can see it. It's that clear. Let me read to you just a few of those passages of Scripture. And you see the clarity of the gospel chapter 2 verses 37 through 41 now when they heard this they were pierced to the heart this is the day of pentecost peter has just preached to this crowd that's in jerusalem it says when they heard this they were pierced to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brethren what shall we do And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? For a person coming to Christ, according to that passage, they need to repent of their sins and they need to be baptized. Let me read to you chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. This is Philip speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. We just heard some of that right there in the baptistry today from Hannah as Paul was talking to her. And she confessed her faith in Jesus, that she believed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's taken right out of Scripture. Verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. That's not complicated either, is it? It's easy to understand. The eunuch believed. He confessed with his mouth that he believed in Jesus. He was baptized immediately. Let me emphasize just that word, immediately he didn't wait until three months away he didn't wait until six months away he was baptized immediately chapter 16 verses 14 and 15 this is lydia a woman named lydia from the city of thyatira a seller of purple fabrics a worshiper of God was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. What do you see in that passage of scripture? One thing that I see there is it was the Lord who opened her heart. The Lord was doing a work in her. And He helped her then to listen to the word that was being spoken to her by Paul. And then she was baptized into Jesus. Let me read to you another passage there out of chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. And this is the Philippian jailer. You remember, Paul and Silas have been in the prison. They've been singing praises to the Lord. There is an earthquake. Verse 30, after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Pretty clear. You take a look at all of these 
these scriptures and you put them together, you see what a person needs to do to come to Christ. They need to believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for their sins and was raised up from the dead. We need to be willing to confess that to others. We need to be sorry for our sins. The Bible calls that repentance. We need to turn away from that sin and turn towards God and then be washed clean in Christian baptism. That's the story of Acts in, 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 in reference to people coming to Jesus. Let me give to you a third theme that you'll find in Acts. Interestingly, over, over Thanksgiving, my brother and I were talking, and many of you know Tom. He, he's a preacher of the gospel himself. He said, what are you preaching on Sunday? They're actually going to be here second service. And uh, I said, well, I'm actually preaching uh, a wrap-up sermon on the book of Acts. I'm, I'm trying to bring it all together and just talk about three themes that are in the book of of Acts, and he says, hmm, let me guess. He said, uh, prayer, the mission of the church, and unity. And I said, well, yeah, unity, that's true too. That would be a fourth theme, but the three that I'm emphasizing, as I said to him, prayer, and the mission of the church, and the clarity of the gospel. I mean, these themes are so clear. If you just are willing to be a student of Scripture, you read and you study through this book, these, mission, these themes just jump off of the page to you. And so, as you read through the book of Acts, you'll see one of the very clear themes in this book is the mission that we all have as Christians. And the mission, of course, is to take the message of Jesus to the world. Listen to what Jesus had to say to his disciples as he was preparing to ascend to the Father. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the Acts version of the Great Commission. You see that same Great Commission in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John's Gospel. And you see it in the book of Acts as well. We are to take the message of Jesus to the world. And the early church did that. That, that day, on the, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter preached that first gospel message, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, and they were from all parts of the world. And when Pentecost was over, they went home. A lot of them did. They went back to their homeland. Guess what they took with them? The message of Jesus, the good news of the Savior. And so we began to see the message of Jesus spreading to the entire world. Then, in chapter 8 of Acts, there's something else that happens that helps get the message 
even further to the world. Do you remember what it was? Chapter 8. The persecution of the church. Chapter 8, verse 1 says Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on this day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And as they scattered, guess what they took with them? They took with them the message of Jesus. Later, as Paul then begins to go on his missionary journeys all over Asia, finally, chapter 19, verse 10 of Acts says, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Think about that. Read that to yourself and let it sink in. All who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Wouldn't that be something for us to be able to say all in Fort Scott, all in Uniontown, all in Deerfield and Nevada, all in this whole area, have heard the message of the Lord. We need to take the message of Jesus with us to everywhere that we go. And you know, we need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. And the Holy Spirit was with these folks in the book of Acts. This early church was Spirit-filled. And the Spirit gave to them boldness and the spirit he is one who convicts he is the one who saves all we need to do is to be willing to speak his message be his voice we don't save people we are not the ones who bring them to this point of decision, we simply share the message of truth with them and we rely upon the power of God's Word and we rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do His work in that person's life. All God has called us to do is share the message and He will do the rest. And of course, we water the seed that's planted, throw a little fertilizer on the seed that's planted, Encourage, be an instrument that God uses. But God ultimately is the one who brings that person to a point of salvation. And have you heard of this this phrase, divine encounters? Or maybe you've heard it this way, divine appointments? Uh, The Holy Spirit is just a master at bringing people together, bringing a Christian together with someone who is not a Christian, and he brings us together, he gives to us the boldness that we need, the burden that we need, and we, sh- we can share that message, and the Holy Spirit helps that person receive the message. I call that a divine encounter. You and I ought to be praying that God would help us to have divine encounters. 
And those are fun. (laughs) Those are really, really fun. When you are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and you're willing to be His voice and you speak the message of Jesus to someone and on the other end, the Spirit's working in their heart too to help them hear the message. We have a mission given to us and that is to take the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And we are entering into a season where that story has such a beautiful start, such a beautiful beginning point. Really not the beginning point, because the beginning point started before time began, where God had a plan. God had a plan to send His Son into this world to be a Savior. But that plan evolved over time. That plan took place. And the pieces were all being put together. And in the fullness of time, Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, God sent forth His Son. He left the splendor of heaven to come here to become one of us. And to live. To live a holy life. To live a life without sin. And yet He died for sinners. He died in our place. And on the third day, he raised from the dead. Amen? That's the gospel story. Let's tell it. Let's share the good news. I want to ask you, will you? Will you? Take that mission to heart. Will you answer his call? And share it with those around you. Let's pray together. I thank you, God, for this wonderful book that you have given to us, the book of Acts. And as we have seen the the starting of the church and just how this church answered your call, Lord, may we answer your call. May we be... people who are praying sharing the message of Jesus with the lost and dying world thank you for choosing us the message is not going to be shared by the angels the message needs to be shared by us so Lord help us give us that Holy Spirit filling and that Holy Spirit boldness. We trust you to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.